Thank you for joining us for this podcast of the Family Fellowship of Greenville, located in Greenville, Texas. If you'd like more information about our church, please log on to www.familyfellowship.us or email us at info at familyfellowship.us. Now here's lead pastor, Paul Blue. Good morning, everyone. If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to Judges chapter 4. Judges chapter 4. I'm sure that many of you will be able to identify with what I'm about to say. I knew as early as first or second grade that I didn't measure up, that I was not as good as some of the other kids that I went to school with. It was made clear to me that I was inferior. And who was it that made my inferiority clear to me? It was culture. You see, I didn't wear the, the, the same name brands of clothes that other kids in my school, the, the better kids, wore. I didn't wear Converse or PF Flyers. Anybody remember those at all? Some of you are saying PF Flyers weren't what the wealthy kids wore. I know. I didn't wear those even. We didn't wear Levi's. Heck, I didn't even wear Tough Skins jeans. We wore what, well, let me just say this. We did, we did not live in poverty. We just didn't have the amount of money that other people had. My dad uh, was, was much younger then. He pastored a small church, and it was a small church that did not pay him very well. My mom stayed home uh, with us kids, and so we lived on one small salary at that time, and so we made do. Um, and so we, we didn't go to the, to the name brand stores. The, the clothes that we wore came from Payless or TG&Y or Kmart or whatever. And as the younger of two boys, you know what that meant. I wore the hand-me-downs that came from Kmart and Payless and all of those things. Times have changed. The names of the stores and the brands of clothes have changed. But the message that culture sends has not changed. What was true then is still true today. If you don't dress in certain brands or have the new phone or drive the new car or live in a certain neighborhood, the message that is communicated to you by culture is that you are inferior to others. But it's not just the clothes that we put on our body that causes culture to tell us that we're inferior. Sometimes it's simply the body that we have that makes us inferior in culture's eyes. Culture tells us that we are superior or inferior based on the size and shape of our bodies or by the color of the skin that covers our body. Many black, Hispanic, Asian, etc. people in America feel like culture communicates to them that they are inferior simply because of the color of their skin. Still others are told today that they are inferior because they are female. Yes, it's true that females are better off in America today than they were 40 years ago. Progress has been made, but culture still communicates today to females that they are inferior. You say, well, how does it do that? Well, on average, women are paid 20% less than men. They are still promoted to management positions far less often than men in the same companies. That can only communicate to women one thing, that you're not as valuable as men are. And as a dad that is married to a woman that I love very much and raising two daughters, it's simply not acceptable in the, in the climate that we live in in this day and age. 
There are thousands of things that culture uses to make people feel culturally inferior. So whether you're poor or you're black or you're Hispanic or you're Asian or you're female or whatever it is. What I want you to know is, is that's the climate we live in. But you don't have to be a victim to that. As we wrap up this series today, I want to challenge you today to overcome the victim mentality and more specifically to overcome cultural inferiority. So in Judges chapter 4, we're going to begin looking in verse 1. After Ehud's death, the Israelites again did evil in the Lord's sight. Have you noticed a pattern in this series? Israel does evil in the Lord's sight. They do things their way. They get in a bind. They dwell in it for a long time. And then they go, oh, we can ask God to fix this for us. And they confess their sin and God fixes it. And then it's good for a very short time. And then immediately they they start going right back in the same old pattern. Verse 2. So the Lord turned them over to King Jabin of Hazor, a Canaanite king. The commander of his army was Sisera. Sisera had 900 iron chariots, and he ruthlessly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. At this time in history, the Canaanites had mastered the art and technology of creating iron. And iron is is much stronger than bronze that had been the metal of choice for weapons and tools. But the Canaanites didn't share that technology With their enemies. And so the Israelites did not have this. As a result. The Israelites are at a severe disadvantage. In tools and weapons. And that's the reason. Or one of the primary reasons. That they were oppressed for so long. Yes Israel could have raised up an army of bodies. But their wood and bronze weapons. Were no match for the iron swords. And spears and chariots. That the Canaanites had. So they finally cried out to the Lord. And we get to see the next person in the book of Judges who had every right to live in the victim mentality but chose to be a victor instead. Look at verse 4. It says, Deborah, the wife of Lapidoth, was a prophet who was judging Israel at that time. She would sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim and the Israelites would go to her for judgment. Does anyone care to guess what Deborah's cultural inferiority was? She was a woman. Modern culture. Culture today tells women that they're socially inferior to men. When a woman does the same amount of work and is paid 20% less than a man, that culture's clearly telling them that they're inferior. But if you think it's bad now, Go back in history about 3,300 years when Deborah lived in in, in roughly 1300 B.C. And see how inferior women were considered then. A woman at that time in history was considered much more a possession than a partner. And verse 4 tells us a few things that we can know about Deborah. It tells us that she was a wife, that she was a prophetess. And that she was a judge. And since she was Israel's judge and prophetess, God gives her a message to take to Barak, Israel's military leader. Verse 6. 
One day she sent for Barak, son of Abinoam, who lived in Kadesh in the land of Naphtali. And she said to him, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, commands you. Call out 10,000 warriors from the tribes of Naphtali and Zebulun, Mount Tabor, and I will call out Sisera, commander of Jabin's army, along with his chariots and warriors to the Kishon River, and there I will give you victory over him. There's something interesting that we miss here as, as we read it in, in this translation. Where Deborah says in verse 6, this is what the Lord commands. All of the more literal Bible translations say it this way, posed as a question. They, they read like this. Has not the Lord commanded you? You see, what that means is, is Barak has already been told. He's already been told by God. Maybe only once, but maybe multiple times. I'm going to give you victory. You raise up an army and you go out to battle against him and I will give you victory. But he hasn't done it. And so God gives this message to Deborah the judge and he says, you go to Barak and you tell him, I have told you this already. Has not the Lord commanded you? But he was afraid. Even though God had said in verse 7, that he would be the victor. Let's read on. Verse 8. Barak told her. I will go. But only if you go with me. Very well she replied. I will go with you. But you will receive no honor in this venture. For the Lord's victory over Sisera. Will be at the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak. To Kedesh. So let's kind of get a little picture. Of what's going on here. Barak is the military leader. Deborah is a woman. She's a woman that has been given some position by God. But she's still a woman. She's not a military leader. She's a judge and a prophetess. And Barak should have been the one to, to, to rally his army and go to battle and get the credit. To, to be the one that is the victor. But he's not going to be. The one that's going to lead the army to victory was Deborah, a woman. And the one who would kill the opposing military leader, Sisera, would be another woman by the name of Jael. But we're not going to read about her today. But here's what I want you to notice. We have a situation where a man should lead. But he won't do it unless a woman goes with him. I've got some commentaries in my office. A commentary is, is comments on the Bible from, from Bible scholars. And so I have commentaries from, from Bible scholars. And what they often say is, in regard to this passage, it, it gives a, a practical application. And they will say, if a man won't take a stand, then God will often raise up a woman. I've heard guys preach that as well. But I want you to understand that I don't believe that for one minute. And you shouldn't either. Listen up, especially all of our females here today. Deborah wasn't God's second choice. She was culture's second choice. You see them getting that? Are you with me here? God knew that Barak was a coward. And if God was as anti-woman as some people say that God is when they look at Scripture, then God would have either, one, let Israel continue suffering, or 
God would have raised up another man, but God didn't do that. God raised up Deborah. You see, Deborah was culture's second choice, but she was God's first choice. And this is an occasion where, where God's plan had two purposes. One was to free Israel, but the other, I believe, was to confront culture's error of the social inferiority of women. Despite living in a culture that advocated the social inferiority of women, Deborah refused to be a victim, but chose instead to be a victor. And there are three traits that are found in those who overcome cultural inferiority. And the first is this. Victors know how to fight like a girl. There's not a whole lot of places generally where it's a compliment when you tell a guy that he does something like a girl. And if you go to a man and you say, you know what, you walk like a girl, he's probably not going to take that very well. Or you talk like a girl, probably not going to be something that he's going to want to hear again. When I used to coach Little League Baseball in the, in the really little leagues, I used to tell all my little players, quit throwing like a girl. Except for the one little girl on my team that had the best arm. I didn't tell her that because she threw really well. See, telling a man that you walk, talk, act like a girl is not something that's generally received well. But to overcome cultural inferiority, everyone needs to learn to fight like Deborah. You ever seen a girl fight? There's actually, at least for me, there, there's actually two kinds of girl fights. There's the kind where they kind of stand as far away as possible and just flail their arms and hope that maybe they can pull some hair. There's that kind. And then there's also the kind of a mother fighting to protect her young. That's the kind of fighter Deborah was. Deborah had no fear. Let's look at verse 9. We'll read a few verses here. Very well, she replied, I will go with you. But you're not going to receive any honor. Verse 10. At Kedesh, Barak called together the tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali. And 10,000 warriors went up with him. And Deborah also went with him. Now Haber the Kenite, a descendant of Moses' brother-in-law, Hobab, had moved away from the other members of his tribe and pitched his tent by the oak uh, near Kedesh. When Sisera was told that Barak, son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, he called for all 900 of his iron chariots and all of his warriors... And they marched from Harasheth Hagoyim to the Kishon River. Then Deborah said to Barak, get ready. So Barak has said, I'll, I'll go, but only if you'll go with me. And Deborah said, absolutely, I'll go. See, I think Barak thought that she would say no. But he misjudged the heart of Deborah. See, the battlefield was generally not a place for a lady, but she had some fight in her. Let me, let me talk to you moms just for a second. Moms, have you ever had to deal with your kids coming home from school and they're upset or they're crying or they don't want to go to school or whatever because they're getting bullied at school? Someone's calling them names or slapping them on the back of the head when they walk down the hallway or from the desk behind them or throwing things at them taking their stuff and, and saying all kinds of awful things and, and getting made fun of and laughed at and all that stuff. You ever had that happen, moms? And, and was your response something like this? Bless your bully's sweet little heart. 
I'm sure they just don't get enough love at home. And so tomorrow we're going to take them to go get some ice cream together after school. Is that, moms, has that your, been your reaction? No, probably not. Moms, when your kids came home from school and told you what was going on and that you were that they were getting bullied, you had this thought. And this thought was, oh, heck no, that ain't happening. Right? Now, what you, what you guys need to know, I'm going to let you in on a secret of, of the pastor. This is something that they give us. We can read your thought bubbles. And a lot of you moms... Your thought was, oh, heck no, but you didn't use heck in your thought bubble. And I know which ones it is that you that did that. See, when your child gets bullied, mom, the mom claws come out, don't they? And so did Deborah's. Deborah was tired of watching her husband and her in-laws and her children and her people being bullied by the Canaanites. And so she went with Barak in the army and they assembled on the slopes of Mount Tabor. And, and, and what happens next, I, I love because so that you have the Israelite army hiding behind the trees on the slopes of Mount Tabor. And the Canaanite army led by Sisera drives in in a, in a dried creek bed at, at the base of that mountain, holding their iron swords and their iron spears. And then all of a sudden, Deborah's adrenaline takes over and she jumps up. Because where we read there in verse 14, it says, And Deborah said to Barak, get ready. Again, not really the best translation. It literally should be translated, up. What she's saying is, charge. She's leading this army. She gets so fired up. Her mom claws her out. And, and she has been, 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 although culturally made to feel culturally inferior, she has some fight in her and she believes that there's going to be victory and she wants a part of it. And here's why. Verse 14, Deborah said to Barak, get ready, up, charge. This is the day the Lord will give you victory over Sisera for the Lord is marching ahead of you. So Barak led his 10,000 warriors down the slopes of Mount Tabor into battle. Second thing is this. Victors know how to have faith like a girl. You got to have some fight like a girl. You also got to have the faith of this girl. Deborah believed that God was going to give the victory because he had already said so in verse 7. It may still exist, but for a long time there was a super popular bumper sticker and it said this. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. But that's really not accurate. Because if God says it, that settles it whether we believe it or not. And since it was settled, since God had said, I'm going to give the victory, it gave Deborah the faith to act with zero fear. I know that we all hate having someone tell us this. But when we live in fear of anything, it's because we're simply not trusting God that he can take care of us. She had no fear. She knew that there was going to be a victory and she wanted a part of it. And so since it was settled, she went forward. You see, that's what separates victors from victims. 
Victors expect victory. And we will never, never get out of the victim mentality until we fully and completely trust God with everything in our lives. Verse 15. When Barak attacked, the Lord threw Sisera and all his chariots and warriors into a panic. Sisera leaped down from his chariot and escaped on foot. Then Barak chased the chariots and the enemy army and killed them all, is what the next verse goes on to, to finish saying. So the Israelites routed the Canaanite army because of the faith of Deborah. I have to ask this morning, what kind of faith do you have? Do you trust God with everything? Do you trust God with your health? Do you trust God with your finances? Do you trust God with your family? The number one factor in those who live in the victim mentality is that they don't really have a faith in God that he will do what he says he will do. See, victors know how to fight like a girl. And they know how to have faith like a girl. And the third thing that we need to do like a girl is, is, is victors need to know how to figure like a girl. And this is the practical result of having faith. So if you go out to the farm and, and, and you see an old guy and he's in his overalls and he's building something, maybe he's building a shed or something, and he's got his pencil in his hand and he's, and he's riding on a two-by-four. And if you go out and you ask the guy, what are you doing? He's going to say, I'm doing some figuring. Right? What he's saying is, I'm doing some math. I'm, I'm calculating. Up to this point, Israel's math worked like this. They look at, at this, this side. The undefeated general, plus huge armies, plus 900 iron chariots plus iron swords and spears versus a meager Israelite army plus wooden and bronze weapons, and what it equals is defeat. That's the way their math has been up till now. But Deborah figures things a little differently. It, it looks much the same over here. Undefeated general, huge armies, 900 chariots, and the iron swords and spears versus Again, very similar, meager Israelite army and wooden and bronze weapons. But she adds, she adds one more thing in her figuring. Plus God equals victory. Deborah knew that if you figured God into the equation, it led to victory. And when we are at a disadvantage, faith is the great equalizer. And man's perceived disadvantage is no match for God. Deborah had every reason to live in the victim mentality. Culture told her and every other female that they were inferior. But she refused to be a victim. Instead, she fought. She had faith. And she figured God into every equation. And she became a victor. And you can too. Culture may be telling you. Today that you're inferior. For whatever reason. 
Maybe you feel like culture is telling you that you're inferior because you're a female. Or, or maybe that you're inferior because of your skin color or your nationality. Or maybe you're inferior because of your economic status or, or whatever it is. But while you may be society's second choice, you are never God's second choice. You are God's first choice to accomplish his will and purpose. God raised you up to be a victor, not a victim. We all face difficult circumstances. That's something that we established at the very beginning of this series. We all face junk. We all face crud. And so regardless of what yours is, whether it's what we talked about in the first week, physical disability, or the second week, emotional insecurity, or the third week, family instability, or cultural inferiority today, it's easy to get down on ourselves. It's easy to wallow in the struggle but as followers of Jesus who are filled with the Holy Spirit, we were made to overcome and we were made to live fully in Jesus. But it's going to take a little bit of fight. The problem most of us have is we're, when it comes to the things of our faith, we just get too passive. But you should never be passive when you have a culture that's telling you something different about you than what God says about you. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning? You know what? All across this room, you know, I can look and, and, I, and I just see people. I see a lot of our differences. see some of you that you have every reason to choose to live in the victim mentality because of what culture has told you. Because maybe your appearance doesn't measure up to what culture says is superior. Maybe you're of the wrong sex. Maybe you live at, a, at an economic level that's below others. Maybe you're an immigrant. Maybe you grew up on a different side of the tracks. Maybe you've got some real garbage in your past. Maybe you've been in jail or in prison. You've got a whole lot of garbage, a whole lot of stuff that culture is going to tell you that because of that stuff, you're inferior. You may be culture's second choice, but you're not God's. God loves you. He proved it by giving his son Jesus to die on the cross for you. And I don't know if anyone else has ever looked at you and what the world calls your inferiority and loved you like that. I don't think so. Maybe you've never really experienced it in that way. But I hope today that first of all, if you know Christ as your Savior, that you will understand that God never intended for you to be a victim, but always to be a victor. 
So you strive for that. You reach for that. You have a drive to see that be who you are. If there's someone here today, and because culture has told you that you were inferior for so long, maybe you've begun to believe it, maybe even to the point that you have felt like not even God could love me. I want you to understand this morning that there is no one that loves you more than God does. God loves you so much that He gave His one and only Son that whoever, not just the superior, but whoever would believe in Him have their sins forgiven and have eternal life through Jesus if there's someone here today and you've never accepted God's love how about today maybe today it's it's maybe a light bulb went off and you've understood that no matter what culture has said about me, God sees me like this. God loves me. And He wants me to be reconciled to Him. The Bible says that if you will confess Him with your mouth, and confess your sin, you can be saved. And if you would like to be saved today, why don't you pray this with me? You've got to mean it from the bottom of your heart. Would you pray this with me? Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. And I've been made to feel inferior my whole life. But I don't believe that you see me that way. I believe that you love me. gave your son Jesus to die on a cross for my sin so today I repent of my sin I will no longer live for myself but I will live for you from this day forward and I want to receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior The Bible says that if we mean business with God and we commit our life to Jesus, that our sin is forgiven and our reservation is made in heaven. But you got to mean business. It's not words of a prayer. It's the cry of a heart. And I hope that if you've never committed your life to Jesus, that you won't leave today without doing that. Heavenly Father, Thank you for your love. Thank you for your power that you give us through the Holy Spirit. You have never intended for us to be victims, but always to be victors. So God, help us to learn to fight and to get out of that victim mentality. Lord, if there are any here today that came not knowing Jesus as their Savior, Lord, I pray that they would first of all understand how much you love them. 
understand that Jesus died on a cross to prove that love and to offer forgiveness of sin. God, I pray that they won't leave without making that commitment today. Thank you that Jesus came to give us life that we could live to the full. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.